Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello, you are listening to Riveting Exchanges podcast. My name is Desiree Grace, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrea Olson. We're very excited today to interview a woman who has started her own business. So the topic today is entrepreneurship, and Maureen Barsima, known as Mo, to those of us that have had the privilege to work with her and spend time with her, is going to talk about how she started her company, which is a financial and strategic coaching endeavor, a business designed to help other businesses be more financially savvy and stable, but we'll let her tell you about it at the end of our podcast. First of all, Mo, welcome to Riveting Exchanges. Well, thank you, and I'm very, very grateful to be part of this initiative that you have. Thank you for including me. So Andrea and I were really interested in hearing about what inspired you to start your own business. And you've got kind of an interesting story about what finally gave you the courage. So can you tell us about that? Well, sure. I'd be happy to. You know, when I think back to my childhood, my dad owned his own business. And when I look at my brothers and sisters, there's more than one of us that also own our own business. So I think from the beginning, there was a culture of independence and making your own path from a long time ago. So I think that probably seeded, you know, some of the character and part of my thread um, from way back. But I guess I should go way back in time. Um, Probably 37 years ago, I went on an interview uh, to an electrical distributorship I had completely no idea what they do. I was just looking for a job. (laughs) And during that interview, I learned that, you know, I guess I would be a good fit. And I was anxious to come on board. I was at an attorney's firm before that. And I was anxious to come on board to start in a whole completely different industry. So that experience in itself. Um, when I started there, there were only six of us. And after a couple years, we even talked about closing the company and we weren't sure, you know, what about what our direction was going, where it was going to go mm. and if we were going to survive. So we sat down as a team and we came up with a strategic plan. And that strategic plan back in the day was to buy a truck of all things. <laughs> An electrical distributor generally relied on the customers coming into the counter to buy products. Sure. And we had the bright idea that, hey, maybe we should go to them instead. (laughs) Would that help them? And uh, we were like the only one doing it for a while. So that truck was one of the greatest things we did. We also banded together as a team and really looked at the weaknesses in our company and decided, you know, these are the things we need to improve upon and really start creating a better customer experience. So that effort still continues today in so many companies. And and I guess I'm saying that because it, it was just another reason to start going off on my own. And, and where in my life did that seed really start feeding itself to grow? So I think I'll, I'll continue with my life at the electrical distributorship. Over time, I became a co-owner mm-hmm. and I realized that that opportunity really gave me a participative voice at another level that really made me want to see the company succeed 
it's up to me and my pocketbook in a whole different way when you're an owner. Oh, so sure. we, again, banded together with our, our shareholders and decided to really grow the business in all kinds of different ways, which was invaluable. And one of the things that you learn when you're in business is you learn some of, depending on what industry you're in, you start learning some of those weaknesses that are there and had the opportunity to be part of associations and getting involved in marketing companies and industry associations that really allowed me to dive into distributorship concerns at a grand level. It's not just one, our own company having problems. It's more than one company. And that really opened my eyes even more to where I wanted to be very involved in the industry as well as in the company. Because every every little step I found out from the association meetings, I brought back into our company. So we became stronger and stronger on behalf of those others who were willing to share and how they overcame some practices. So again, over time, building up, seeing the company getting better, seeing myself growing and getting better, more confident. I think all of this contributed to one day, what would happen if we sold our company? Well, mm -hmm. over time, that day was coming. Mm -hmm. And before that day was coming along, I remember that especially one topic in the industry was just really, really disturbing to me. And from a financial perspective, there wasn't much limelight on the issue in the, in the industry. And I always thought, gosh, you know, there's a better way for us. And so I, on my own, I started digging in and coming up with a solution for this particular um, problem in our industry. And I started actually writing a prototype of what software might look like and kept this in my head and wrote notes and and really had to put my arms around it and listen to people to what, what would those solutions be? So in the meantime, you know, we're starting to think about selling our company. And that was a, a great big decision for all of us. But at the time, the president of the company, he experienced a mild stroke. And I think that's really what kind of like sealed the deal that we got to move on. We got to make sure the you know, we have a good direction for not only ourselves, but also for the other people that worked in the company. So we sold the company in 2013. And I decided to stay with the new owners for a few years because, hey, they have a culture our company needed to get used to. And we have a culture the new company needs to get used to. Mm -hmm. So it was very important for me to not only carry myself, but help carry all the employees from both sides of the company um, together so we can band together and we can become one. So again, still in the back of my mind, if I was ever going to leave the company, what would I do? You know, some of this was just starting to weigh on me more and more. And that was because my mom had a stroke. And when that happened, it was all about taking care of my mom and, and what we can do to make her life easier, at work, I was kind of struggling with wanting to leave to open up my own company, but yet I wanted to stay with, you know, the other company and I was so completely torn. And I remember before my mom passed away, I remember having a conversation with her and asking her, it's like, mom, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go, you know? And she said, and she could barely talk at the time. And my sweet, loving mother said, well, you need to pray to God about that. And after I heard her say that, 
I walked away and in my head, I said, I just did. I just did. She totally was able to give me an answer to have the courage to move forward. It's what I needed to hear at the time. So anyway, I decided to leave the new company mm. and they were wonderful people. And I decided to leave the company on a very good note and decided to, hey, if there's any time in my life, I'm going to open up my own business. I'm going to do it now. Um, I have the capital means. I had written an, an entire business plan behind it. I had my prototype of software that I wanted to grow. I had a marketing plan. I had capital behind me. I had networking behind me. I had built all this foundation over so many years. I really felt confident I could march out on my own and become a resource to companies in an, an entirely different light. So with that said, kind of a long story to get me there, but um, I guess over 37 years, <laughs> it was probably about time where I could, you know, really feel confident moving forward with um, doing something different, but yet stay involved in the industry where my strengths are. So I hope that kind of explains things, so, but that, that, that was the whole foundation. So you really had been thinking about this all along. You said a couple of things that I thought were really interesting, Mo, and Andrea, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I think our listeners would be interested. You know, you talked about all the foundation um, pieces that you had, the capital, the network, the business plan. Can you maybe elaborate on each of those a little bit more and maybe what, what you think the top three were? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, I would think number one was networking. It was so important for me to be involved in our industry at a level that really made me understand how the industry ticks. I knew how our company worked, but I wasn't sure about other companies. You know, we were an electrical distributor. What about all the suppliers and the manufacturers that we deal with? How, how do they view things? That was an unknown to me. Also, you know, the size of our company compared to the size of other companies that are bigger. My, I was all ears on the companies, no matter what size they were, because everybody has such creative, brilliant ideas to bring to the table. It was important mm -hmm. for me to really listen to how other companies tick and have an appreciation and a respect for learning all that. So I think networking and becoming involved in initiatives was probably the best thing I did. And I started doing that out of my 37 years. I bet I started doing that at least 20 years ago. I mean, I got going early. I was very young and thank God for my prior boss. He's the one who said, Mo, it's time for you to start getting involved in the industry. So I'm very, very grateful to my mentor. And my I call him my brother because he's my best friend and he's like part of the family. So that to me was number one, get involved, learn to appreciate and respect others, people's business lives and get to know people, get to know people. And you know, you can go back and rely on them for help at any time. So it's been just a friendly, friendly atmosphere in our industry. Um, number two, I would say would be the capital was important to me. I wanted to develop software. I wanted to have enough money to seed my company. And I felt very confident that I wouldn't have to go source funding from anybody mm -hmm. for a while. And I think that was another thing that really gave me confidence that 
you know, I really want to do this on my own. I really want to take this somewhere on my own and test it out, feel it out. And I was fortunate enough to have capital behind me. So, um, and I wasn't going to be afraid to reach out otherwise should something take off. But at the beginning, this was my baby. I wanted to nurse. So that was the next thing, the business plan. All right. So now I've got the networking down. I've got the capital down. Now it's the business plan. Aha. Mm -hmm. You, I talked to myself about this. Maureen, you need to sit down. You need to carefully think about what the projection is over the next three to five years. You need to really think about how you're going to market, where you're going to go, what's going to take off, what might not work, who are all your resources, you know, all this. I had to sit down and write my business plan. One of the best things I did, it stretched my mind in areas that probably wouldn't have thought about just on, you know, on the cuff. It, it was a deep dive of all the things I would need to consider for my business. So those three things are probably the top three things that really gave me the confidence and gave me the foundation to make myself go forward. Wow. Wow. That is just a, a heck of a story. You know, one of the things that you touched on was actually the owners that had a stroke and, and that there's been, there was some kind of health issues in regards to that process. You know, as you look at some of these companies that haven't put forth or established a plan for succession, you know, now that you're a business owner and, and you're seeing things in a different way, what would you say to those folks that haven't started that process? Because it is, it's about a sustainability in the health of the company long-term. I would say, put down your pencils, put down your paper, put down your computers and get your team together and build your succession plan now get that project going. That is one of the most important things that you can do, not only for yourself, but for all the employees who are contributing to the success of your company. Mm -hmm. You owe yourself that, you owe your employees that, you owe your company's strength and future to a succession plan. So it's so important. I, I can't stress that enough. <laughs> Yeah, it is amazing to me in a variety of industries. And I know, Andrea, with your footprint, you you cross more industries than I do. It is amazing to me people that don't have a succession plan. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Mo, is that something you also coach on? You know, I know you've spoken about your really well-rounded background, but I know you do quite a bit of financial coaching could you tell us a little bit more about that piece of it also and, and what other things that you you do and how have you gotten to the things that you offer as part of your entrepreneurship journey? Sure. So one of the things that I've done in this whole journey is really just keep in touch with the folks that I've been networking with for several, several years. That networking alone brought me to, I'll just give you an example, a cold call from a company out East. And in fact, I really didn't even know these people very well, but I knew they were part of the industry and they called and they said, well, you know, Mo, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm able to come into a company and do whatever you'd like help with and coach you in areas, wherever you'd like help only because I've been in the industry for so long, but my strength is the, on the financial side. So if you need help, you know, with someone to review your financial statements and look at some of those weaknesses and help build out programs, 
that will help build those weaknesses into strengths. Mm -hmm. I can talk to you about that. If you have other initiatives that um, maybe you want some kind of tool in place, I'm great with numbers and Excel and <laughs> all these things and, and I business system software, database, those types of things. I'm enough to be dangerous in order to get you on a path to, to start leading it to, down another road. But specifically, like when it comes to succession planning, I would not be the one to talk to about that with an entire program for a company to go down. I could get someone for you to do that. I could lead you down a path. But that would be something that if you'd want to go down that path, I'd help you get there just from that perspective. But it's not in, in a deep dive. Now, if you would talk to me about your product rebates or volume rebate programs or something like that, specifically, I would totally be able to bring a company into light in regard to better earnings and where you have inefficiencies going on, your cash flow, your profitability bottom line, your team structure, your processes, you know, all those types of things would be something I would be able to take a company to another level. So that's where I really hang my hat is around the, the rebate area specifically. That's what my software uh, prototype has been uh, designed around. And I have a workshop that I have around that topic as well. Mm. So that's, that's where I really, really, really think not only distributors, but manufacturers need focus and they need to bring this to another level. There's a lot of waste between a distributor and a manufacturer because of these contracted sales that we have with each other. And while they're a good thing, I'm not saying we shouldn't have them. Oh, no. I think there is a great way and there's a great process and a sales model that allows the manufacturer and the distributor to participate in large jobs where they wouldn't be able to do it before. And there's a margin opportunity for both of us as well. Mm. However, I don't think we talk about the waste. And there's an awful lot of it because the process is complicated and confusing. And I think there's a better way. I think there's, I still think there's a better way. So hopefully we'll get there soon. You know, why do you believe that people don't look at waste? Why, why is that a subject that, though obvious, right? Find me ways to, you know, eliminate waste, save money, et cetera. You know, almost, almost the lowest hanging fruit. You know, why, why is there such residence against that? What a great question. I have been asking myself that as well. You know, I applaud the companies that admit to a truth that's negatively impacting their financial outcome, who can really take that topic and say, hey, we need help. Mm. And I think it's those companies who say I have specific people who are not going to do just the tactical job. They are going to be strategic. How do you get your people from tactical to strategic? And I think that's where the flaw is, where we can't seem to find the time to have enough resources in a company to look at the strategic side of something that's really causing the inefficiencies in the company. Um, and I think that's where companies who've hired me, they have done that very thing. They look at the hard truths in their company and say, hey, you know what? We need someone who can just come in, do a little fixing thing here and there, adjust things here and there, get a process going, get a team lead going, and then step out. Teach them a better way to do it. So many business owners simply don't have the bandwidth in their time of day to look at 
all these things that's costing their company more money. They think it's up to them to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I created Outside Looking In. I'm the quick person who can come in and look at something from the outside that's very troubling on the inside and try to create a way that's going to be better for your future. So three years in, Mo, do you have any lessons learned that if you knew then what you know now, you would do differently? Or, gee, you're really glad you did it the way you did it? I do have a couple things that, gosh, if I knew that about myself then, I, I maybe would have done something different over the three years. So, you know, one of the things that we all have are strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And my weakness is to market myself. I'm a person that, you know, generally I'm the financial one. I can look at something on the inside and get things fixed up and, and look at that. But now to go out and sell myself, I'm not market savvy enough for marketing. And I'm a soft push. And I think I probably could be more pushy, but that's out of my comfort zone. <laughs> so I think that's one of the things that you really do need to have a good marketing plan. And that's one of the areas where I think I failed. I think, now I shouldn't say failed. I could work on it. I'm still mm. alive here, but I need to work on that. I really do. And then I think too, well, how busy do I need to get? You know, I start weighing out how much time I'm dedicating to each company. And I want to be sure my availability is strong and I'm there when I'm needed. So I'm careful too about not wanting to get too busy with things to make sure that the projects that I'm on, I'm, I'm not going to run out of time. Mm -hmm. So there, I would think that's the biggest thing that I've learned about myself. You know, that's interesting because the service you offer is in a lot of respects really unique and the ability to come in and be that less emotional financial guru. Mm -hmm. And I, I certainly know from, from spending time with you that you, you do have excellent people skills, but the message to our listeners is there's a foundation that's needed especially the business plan. There has to be a passion and an expertise around the area you're becoming an entrepreneur in, but you can't forget the necessity of marketing yourself and your business. And, you know, I think you also bring up a good point too. How busy do you want to be? Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of it. I mean, one of the things that I was most concerned about was my availability. And to be very strong in my effort with a company to show them that, hey, really all you need is for me to come in and be with you for X amount of time. And we'll measure that month over month or quarter after quarter, however you want to do it. But when these projects are done, that's it. I should be able to hand those off and make sure you've got a new groove going in your company. You know, so it's one of those soft ways to get in to be sure everybody's comfortable. Um, you know, you're learning a new culture, you're learning about new people. You have to be very respectful with the numbers of, you know, the financial condition of companies that you're walking into. It is what it is. And, you know, they want help with that. So, you know, and it's, it's careful. It's a delicate, you're talking about their livelihood, their numbers, and, you know, you have to be respectful of what they've built so far and then find a way for them to maybe turn a few things around that will help them. So it takes time and it takes dedicated time to be really good at it. It takes deep reading and 
getting time to learn the company. So yes, it is the consideration as how busy you want to be and how much time you're going to have for each company you get involved with. That is really interesting to me because as a person who's never owned my own business, the idea of making sure you allocate enough time to that, that's, that's really very interesting. You know, and Andrea, you also do consulting. Do you have any commentary on that or any insight as well? Because I find that area of our discussion to be really interesting. And, and how do both of you figure out how much time should I allocate? Do you guys have a rule of thumb or Mo, how do you know to say, okay, I need to allocate two days to this particular project? Can, can both of you speak to that if you don't mind? Well, Andrea, why don't you go first? Oh, sure, sure. I think it's something that you have to decide going in, you know, depending on your own personal financial situation. You know, sometimes you have to put in the time just because you need to keep the organization going. You don't really have the luxury of saying, I'm only going to put X number of hours into this. But on the other hand, the big benefit of having your own entrepreneurial venture is that you own the time. So you can utilize it in the most efficient fashion possible rather than being at a nine to five where, you know, maybe it's actually not valuable for you to be there that day, but you have to, you have to be there anyway. So, you know, I think that the opportunity as an entrepreneur is, is, you know, people talk a lot about, uh, you know, work-life balance. I think what it becomes is the more honed and focused and on top of what your market, where your niche lives, where what you can deliver, the work becomes easier and faster and more efficient because your brand awareness has started to create a presence. And so instead of chasing business, you actually have the opportunity to have business just come to you. And that's when things start to change. That's right, Andrea. I was anxious to hear your response before I, I went on. And, you know, I think too that um, once the people start coming to you, it really feels good that whether it's the current companies you're working for and they're giving you more work or new companies coming in, I think that those companies that have engaged you in a deeper way compared to other companies is another thing that is a, a really great consideration because getting to know a company, the culture, their beat, all of that takes time. And once you, you can become part of that mm -hmm. and you become this resource that people start, you know, in those companies, they just start calling you like you're part of the company, you know, and I think that is what really makes your brand so strong where you can really feel like you're part of that and they want to be with you and they want to continue with you with other projects as well. So it's important for me when I'm done with a relationship to give them time, even though I'm not engaged with them, you know, little things that I find out, I'll, I'll you know, I think about this company out East and it's like, Oh, I got to just tell them about this. Cause I think it would be meaningful. I don't want to get paid for it. I just want to continue to let them know I'm a resource for mm -hmm. them. And these are things I can do, just little, you know, bonus things that, that I feel is important and uh, to keep those relationships alive. So just wanted to add that. It sounds to me like both of you have identified customers or clients, maybe clients, the right word, 
that are a good fit. And I know for myself, working for someone else, there are still clients that maybe we want to encourage or discourage to do business with us because maybe they aren't the best fit for, it could be something financial, it could be something cultural, it could be expectations that are maybe not appropriate for our capabilities, you know, what have you. But I find that interesting that as an entrepreneur, you've still found those customers, you know, Mo, you, you've talked about this outfit out east that, you know, you think of them, you might send them an article or something else that's of value to them because they're a great fit for what you have to offer. And that relationship sounds almost like a partnership. That's the word. That's how I'd like to think about it. I'd like to think that I just remember back in the day, BJ Electric, we really didn't have a very sound. We had our accountants, but it's not like they were there every day. We really didn't have good financial leadership. This was early, early on. And I remember my boss hired an outside company to come in and look at our financials, look at some of our processes and really start laying a new foundation of things that we needed to do and open our eyes and get us trained. And it wasn't just my boss. It was the management, the leadership team that really needed to have an education instilled in us. And so that to me was one of the most invaluable things that my boss did. And he taught me how valuable it is when you don't have expertise, you have to reach out and go get it. It's the best thing you can do. Go do it. So I think that's another thing that, you know, was really great that someone was out there that knew something more than us, <laughs> you know, and bring it in and, and lay this new, this new path for us. Well, this has been a very fascinating conversation. Um, Andrea, do you have any other questions you want to ask? You know, I would say I think even industries and companies that do have a track record and have a solid foundation of customers and offerings still sometimes struggle to understand their customers, understand where they're making money, and understand how to differentiate. So I would be curious on your perspectives of why, if you've seen that, and why you think that is, especially for, you know, in, in the scheme of manufacturing here, some folks that maybe have been around 50, 100 years, but yet uh, they start losing market share. They start not really making strides in growth. Why? What have you seen has been the catalyst for that or the cause of that? I think part of that is they have... Well, they choose not to recreate their company to be something more than what they are today. Right. They're so used to the current path they're on. Right. And it all of a sudden, things start slipping away and not keeping an eye on that is, is just so dangerous. I love the fact that the business analytical tools that we have today and what we can dive into to really know when things are slipping and where we have white space opportunities to grow mm -hmm. And having someone specifically focused on the BI that's in your business system to get your company to a new level. And hey, you have to recreate yourself. Like every few years, you have to be something different now. You cannot be a, just simply a distributor, for an example. You can't be just a distributor. You have to be someone who has total solutions and services. And maybe, you know, going out and being a provider of whatever, like might be rental equipment that you never even thought mm -hmm. you would be 
offering to your customers. You know, it might be just an entirely different thing that you can offer that makes your company more important than what it was the year before. So if you can constantly look at that, don't be afraid to recreate and really mold yourself into a new fashion. Every couple years, you will succeed. You have to pay attention though. You need someone to really be able to watch all that for you. Oh, fully agreed. Fully agreed. I think that is dead on. The idea that customers or stakeholders are going to stay the same is absolutely crazy. And if organizations, even nonprofits, if they don't adapt to the changing macro environment, you know, the trends in how people like to do business or the trends in hiring expectations, I could go on and on. You're going to find yourself going the way of the dodo. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think the challenge is refreshing too. You got to challenge yourself always to be something new. So it's refreshing. I think that's well said. Challenge yourself to do something new. Mo, could you uh, tell our listeners in a couple sentences in case they haven't already figured it out, what Outside Looking In is all about? And then I'll hand it over to Andrea to close us out for this uh, podcast. Outside Looking In is a company that was created so that the eyes from the outside can come in and pay attention to the things that need to be paid attention to on the inside. A resource, a resource that can come in, take an initiative and make it blossom into a new path within the company that gets woven into the culture of the company. And in closing too, I'd like to just say, being an entrepreneur, you need to give yourself time. I Five years is in my head to give yourself time to become good at it, become a resource for people, see if your business is going to go. And over those five years, if it does or doesn't work, just always remember to be grateful that you gave it a try. Oh, definitely. That is just, you know, a word to the wise, I tell you. People are so impatient and, you know, oftentimes, I, I mean, that might just be culture and the fast pace of of today's lifestyles, but building a business, it's not uh, for the faint of heart. And it takes an inordinate amount of time and dedication and persistence. So I say that is just some of the best advice that you could really give anyone. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap up this podcast. Again, I am Andrea Olson with Desiree Grace, and uh, we look forward to having you next time. Our next podcast, we're going to discuss the fun topic of bad bosses. You're going to tell a few stories give a few tips and uh, dive into some, uh, hopefully some humorous uh, banter about our experiences with dealing with bad bosses. So we look forward to having you next time. Stay safe and thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.